0: This is the triumphant Sunday celebration, the time when Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. And I want you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Luke chapter 19, where, we're, where it's recorded for us, this event. And as we unpack it a little bit, I want us to uh, just reflect a little bit of where are we going? All of us are on a journey And that journey involves the expression of faith. And where are we going in our journey? And where have we come in our walk with God? Do we find ourselves stymied? Do we find ourselves shut down? Do we find ourselves along the side of the road, wondering and perplexed, fearful? Where are we? Where are we going? As Jesus said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them in verse 30, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there with no one has ever ridden. Untied and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he had come near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. If you've ever read Joel Rosenberg, you will find an author here who is describing for us the current state of unrest within Jerusalem and the surrounding areas of Israel. Israel is a tinderbox of expectation. Something is going to happen. They're not exactly sure what they're not exactly sure when they're not exactly sure who will instigate it. But they know something will happen. People are prepared for the unexpected knowing that there is just around the corner something. When you read N.T. Wright in his book, Simply Jesus, you find out that, G, that, that he describes this, this whole event as the perfect storm. And he describes for us that there are three groups of people that were expecting something. There were the Romans, there were the religious leaders, and there were the followers of Jesus. And they were expecting something. Not exactly sure what. And yet wrapped up within this triumphant entrance was everything and nothing that they had expected. And they all began to wonder what road were they journeying on. When you go to the Mount of Olives today and you overlook into the city, you see this. How are we doing? We got those slides coming there? Yeah, okay. Oh, it's behind me. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. I was looking up there for, okay, good. So we see this. And, and today, this is the third holiest site in the, in the Muslim world. And it is the Dome of the Rock built on the place where they believe that Abraham went to sacrifice Ishmael. And there on the Dome of the Rock, and I touched it, yes, I touched it. Anyway, on the Dome of the Rock is this gathering spot of religious people coming to celebrate an event that they feel transformed their worldview. And right beside the Dome of the Rock, kind of on this side, is where the wailing wall is. And the wailing wall is important because that's the closest the Jewish people can come to where they felt that the temple was was created, where it was built. And they come to that to be close to God in order to present their prayers to God. And they come and they look at this every day and they realize that the Messiah has not yet come. That the Messiah will come when the temple has been rebuilt. In Masada, out in the desert, Herod the Great built a huge fortress, a palace, a fortress, a place where he would gather together with his friends and he would influence them and demonstrate to them the power that he had amassed as king of the Jews. And he would demonstrate to those who followed him that that he had authority through Rome in this region. And he would demonstrate that he was the one that people would pay their respects to and their allegiance to. Jesus tells us what happens to that beautiful palace. He says, There is coming a time when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. You will be dashed to the ground, you and the children within your walls. See, at about 70 the Romans came, and because of the unrest that was going on in Jerusalem, they once again came and destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, destroyed everything around there, and they they chased the survivors out to the desert, Masada. And there they encircled it, and you can see the 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 walls still around where the fortress is, and you can see the embankments where the where the Romans had their camps, and you can see the the large berm that was created in order for them to get up to the wall of the the castle and, uh, and the fortress and break it down. You can see all that. And as they entered in on that final day of battle, they came to a silent citadel filled with death for the night before the Jewish people had taken their lives, all but one woman and a child. It was their belief that in taking their lives, the Messiah would come and rescue them, rescue society, rescue the Jewish people from the Romans. He would come like a flash of lightning and burn them up and get rid of them and establish his kingdom once again. It didn't work. And so today, there on Masada... Parts of the Israel army will go and they will make a pledge and they will say never again. It has two meanings. The first meaning is a political meaning. Never again will there be a group of invaders who will come and annihilate us. Never again will we have foreigners tread on our land. And the second meaning is never again will we wait for a Messiah we will take our own destiny in our hands. Now here's a question. In your own walk of faith, do you come to those places, those, those intervening moments when it seems that, that life is overwhelming and the challenges are too complete and you say, never again. Never again will I find myself in need of, of God, and the ramparts of your life have been crushed and destroyed, and the symbols that you have held on to are no longer there. In the time of Jesus, the temple would have looked something like this, and uh, this is a model that was created to to re- to, to to give us a visualization of what it may have looked like, this is Herod the Great's temple, and if if you compare it to the Dome of the Rock and the and the magnitude of that, the Dome of the Rock, the the peak of it would have come to about that level. So at least according to our you know historian who wants to make sure that everything that that was done before was bigger and better and brighter and smarter and all that stuff. So anyway, but this was a magnificent building. And it filled the landscape, and it drew people's attention. And all focus, when they looked at Jerusalem, went towards this building. So standing on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city, they would have seen this. And now you can see the little columns, you can see the porches where the disciples would have met later on, and where where they would have talked about Jesus, and Jesus would have taught, and they would have discussed the things of God. Around the corner that you don't see is another fortress... And it's in that fortress that Pilate would have come when he came to visit the city two or three times a year to make sure that everything was stable, everything was was normal. A fortress overlooking the temple because in the temple courts, the militants and the zealots and the nationalists would have all met. Because what they were seeking to do was once again identify the coming Messiah. Messiah. Back at about 150 years before Jesus, that uh, the temple, not this one, but another temple had been desecrated by the Greeks as they had come in and as they had lain waste to the city and they put up their own altars and they wanted the people to sacrifice pigs on the altar and, and, and do all these things. And, and the Maccabees came along, Joseph the Hammer, and he decided that this was not right and he rid... The city and the countryside of the Greeks, and he established his own country, his own nationalhood and his own rulership over the area. And the people were convinced because he had done this that he was the Messiah. And so, because of that, the Messiah police were invented, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees came along and they understood the law, and they memorized the law, and they studied the law to identify who the right Messiah was, because obviously it wasn't. Joseph. He was doing things that weren't right. He was doing things that were incorrect, that weren't following the law. And yes, he had cleansed the temple. And yes, he had established a rule. And yes, he had kicked out the tyrants and he had done all these things. But he wasn't the Messiah. And so the Messiah police, the Pharisees, were there to discern who was the right one. And there were other Messiahs. There were other leaders. There were other revolutionaries who came along. The Bible tells us about a man named Simon who was from Egypt who was taken and killed. There were those who were identified as rescuers that the Pharisees would come along and say, are you the Messiah? In fact, that's what they use at Jesus' trial. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And Jesus says, yes, but not the way you want it. Even in our own life, we have a hard time recognizing Christ, the Messiah, and what it is that Jesus wants to say to us. Jesus wants a triumphant entry each day into our lives. Revelations tells us, Here I am, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with them, and he with me. John reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. In the book of Romans, we're reminded that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God. That apart from God, we live in what some have called the valley of the shadow of death. We live separated from God. And we realize that in this separation, that God demonstrated his own love to us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ making it possible for us to have a relationship through him with God the Father. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all we need to do is again what Romans tells us that if anyone confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And suddenly we find ourselves on a pathway of life, a path of hope, a path of possibilities. Jesus was in this area before. In John chapter 11, he came to visit his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, on the sad news that his friend Lazarus had died. And coming into the city, he stood there beside the the town, and the sisters ran out and said, If you'd only been here, if you had only come in time, if you had been here sooner, we would not be having to have a memorial service and living with that, but we could really be embraced by who you were, the one who gives life. And Jesus reminds them, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, 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 we know that. No, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And suddenly they paused. And their minds began to think and their hearts began to open to the reality that Jesus was more than just one to come and dispense miracles. And as he walked into the town, he wept. For there around him were those not grasping that he was the Messiah. And raising Lazarus from the dead, he did it in such a way as to convince those around him, not that, that he was a miracle worker for that and that time and that time alone, but he was who he said he was. God among them. And now, in Luke 19, Jesus weeps again. And he weeps for the city. And later we find Jesus weeping for us in the garden. There he stood on the Mount of Olives. And today the Mount of Olives is covered in tombs. Dusty, old tombs. Lifeless seeking through their proximity to Jerusalem some encounter with God, some touch with the Messiah. In fact, for about $20 or so, you too can take a donkey ride and go all the way down the Mount of Olives, around and up again, and enjoy the splendor of riding where Jesus may have rode. But as you come to the bottom of the hill and as you make your way through the valley and as you come into the city itself, you're struck with the choice to stay in, in that valley part or to come to the place which is symbolic in the city, in the reference to the city, come to a place of hope, of life, of presence of God. And the choice is ours. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to walk where Jesus walked. That's not my foot. That's my foot. And so I just wanted to show you so that I could sing the song, I Walk the place where Jesus walked. So anyway, but a first century road. There along the side of the the, uh, wall to the Temple Mount. And we look at the road and we look at our walk with Jesus and we say, is this something that is personal? Is this something that is vibrant? Is this something that brings life? Or have we fallen into a trap of mediocrity and formality? Coming into the temple each and every day are celebrations. Young boys becoming men as they are recognized as now having a place within society, having a place of, of coming to, a, to the table with a voice, their opinions being sought, their views being valued, all in relationship to the Word of God moving and stirring within them. Coming to the temple, Jesus would have gone up these stairs. Going up the stairs, He would have gone into the doors that are now covered And he would have gone into the temple and he would have liberated the temple. And the Messiah police would be there questioning. Don't make so much noise. Can't you see where you are? Can't you see what the situation is? Don't you understand our political reality that if we have this uprising that goes on, we will simply be crushed? And how can you define yourself as a Messiah when your rabble around you don't even carry enough swords? How is it possible for you to transform the temple, transform our city, transform our society when there is no army that backs you? Coming into the city, as the people put down their cloaks, they were indicating that this could possibly be the Son of God, the Messiah, God with us. The cloaks would have been the clo- the, the, the garments that they would have used to cover themselves in order, to, order for them to pray properly. Then in cutting off the palm branches, they were recognizing this could be the Messiah, the political leader of our future. During the time of the Maccabees, the, the palm branches became a symbol of independence, and that, in, that symbol continued on through Jesus' day, that whenever the branches were cut and waved, it was a sign of... Independence. Independence Day. Hosanna. A new king coming. We will follow him. And now the Pharisees were saying, but wait a minute. He doesn't meet our expectations. He doesn't meet the true requirements. It's said in Zechariah that he will come on a colt He will be righteous and have salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bowl will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There's huge symbolic revelations in his coming on a donkey that he would establish his kingdom and all those around would pay homage to him. But in coming the way Jesus did, He didn't fulfill their expectations. What about us today? What are our expectations when Jesus comes? Hebrews tells us, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What is it that Jesus is asking you to consider? Coming down out of the Mount of Olives is a crossroad. The one way leads up towards the temple. The other leads towards a valley which the uh, the palace of David overlooks. It's called the Valley of Death. And there the people would come and they would bury their dead. Maybe you find yourself standing at a crossroad today. And you find yourself wondering, whom will I follow? And where will I go? And will I allow the word of God to transform my understanding of God so as not to become mired and held back in my trust of God? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts.